With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to The Gold Derby Show on The Gold Derby Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Gold Derby Roundtable with Charlie and Tony. I'm your host, Charlie Bright. And I'm your host, Tony Ruiz. And joining us today, we have uh, from uh, Awards Watch and In Session, the executive editor of Awards Watch and uh, film festival extraordinaire, Ryan McQuaid is joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. This is wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I usually go to a lot of film festivals and I've gone to some with Charlie and Tony, one day I will go to a film festival with you, and we will have a lot of fun. <laughs> that would require me to leave my little bubble. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll burst it one day, and then we'll get you out, and uh, we'll get you in the wonderful even, lines. At even Glenda, the Good Witch of the North, had to leave her bubble. So you know what? <laughs> True. Thanks. True. <laughs> but she's the villain of those movies. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, some people think that Glinda is actually the villain of that story. But anyway, we're not. That's here a for story that. for another podcast. Another time. <laughs> so uh, we will be uh, talking about some film festival stuff in just a little bit. But Tony, uh, I believe, uh, do you have any uh, things, any news items that you wanted us to uh, discuss before we get into that? Well, today in the news, it was uh, with the Oscar season just ending, we got our first little bit of news that directly impacts the Oscars next year. That's right. Martin Scorsese's uh, long-awaited follow-up to The Irishman, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, has set a release date. Uh, It will uh, release in October. Uh, It will start limited, then go wider, and will eventually be streaming on Apple TV+. Um, The film, of course, Stars Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, and brand new Oscar winner uh, Brendan Fraser. Um, how excited are we to finally see this movie? Extremely excited to see this movie. I don't care if it's three, four, or five hours long. I don't care. It's Martin Scorsese. He's the greatest living filmmaker, in my opinion. And to get to see him make essentially what I've heard is his first Western. Um, it is. And and if you've read this book, Killers of the Flower Moon, it's an insane story. And uh, that Oscar uh, friendly spot of the first week of October, kind of like where Tar was at and Joker's been and A Star is Born over the last couple of years has been really good. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's going to be, uh, rumor has it, it'll be premiering uh, at Cannes. And, uh, and then it'll be probably at Venice and Telluride and, and all the other festivals in between. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to see it. 
I mean, it's a new Scorsese movie. How can I not be excited for it? Uh, it's just, you know, it's... Um, be the person that says that even, they're not excited for it. Like, I mean, about even, that. even if it ends up being a bit of a letdown for me, like, like you know, Shutter Island was and Silence I was a little underwhelmed by, but I mean, still, it's it's still an event. It's a, it's a cinematic event, and it's one I don't want to be left out of the loop of, and it's just, you know, you know you're going to be in for an experience, and uh, it's ironic. It, it's ironic because he's doing it. You know, some of my favorite Scorsese movies are actually the period films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Age of Innocence is one of his uh, absolute masterpieces. I think that film is so so criminally under underrated. Even though it was a it was a big uh, you know kind of splashy Oscar friendly vehicle in the '90s. I think it its place in the in his filmography is is underrated um i'm also looking forward to see what the oscars do uh because we know that the oscars are sometimes a day late and a dollar short um and it'll be interesting to see can after so many years of scorsese being um ignored um and losing to what some might consider lesser directors um that uh if he'll if he'll get that second Oscar very pretty in in a rapid succession, yeah. I mean, I know it's been I know it's been over a decade since The Departed, but still. I mean, I I think back to the night that that Parasite won, and we always watch that clip of of director Bong winning that Best Director prize, and everybody went and gave him a standing ovation, Bong Joon Ho. But the second standing ovation that was given in the middle of that speech was for Martin Scorsese. So, and uh, who is even more, I think, than like even like Steven Spielberg, his buddy last last year, who he was doing a bunch of Q and A's for the Fablemans. He's like the 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 grandfather. It feels like of cinema, and so many people look up to Scorsese. And um, I agree with you, Tony. Like a movie like The Aviator for me, another period piece too, is one of my favorite films of his and i love asia innocence um but then you know it's kind of like the blending of, yeah it's like the blending of both worlds like you get the period senses of scorsese with of course the the, the crime nature of, of of what and uh and and violence that you know people known him for too so um this is going to be a i mean an, an unrecognizable leonardo dicaprio from what we've already seen right like you you can't tell in that photo that that's leonardo dicaprio clearly being sarcastic um, but him being working with uh, with both of his of his muses, essentially with Leo and De Niro, and then also to Jesse Plemons coming off of his work on Power of the Dog, Brendan Fraser. There's Lily Gladstone as well, too, from uh, Certain Women, uh, the Kelly Riker film pair a couple of years ago. So this is a stack cast. It's going to it's it's a two hundred million dollar sort of epic for Apple. It's going to be their crown jewel for the Oscar season. They've got a couple other films, too, like the Steve McQueen film and Napoleon. But. This is the one that got delayed, and now we can't all wait to see what it's going to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how if it's going to actually be in competition at Cannes. Uh, uh, I don't think he's had an in competition film in a while because, like, I know like other films have premiered there, but I don't think they were compet- They weren't in competition. Uh, he did win the Palm in '76 for Taxi Driver, yeah. uh, and then I believe he won the directing award in '85 for After Hours. Uh, which is another uh, criminally underrated film of his. Yeah. Great, just absolute batshit insane movie. I love that. I love that. Yeah, 
It will be interesting um, too if they do let it go into. Com- Sorry, Tony. It will no, be good. if they do go into competition with it because of their of the streaming roles that they that can has had and their sort of uh, indifference to that. But then, of course, this is going to have more of a wider distribution because and Paramount's pushing it, you know? and it's a different release model too. Because yeah. because Netflix had a very specific type of release model that didn't that didn't correlate with the rules that can had yeah. set up. So um, hope for competition specifically because they've had films premiere out of competition at uh, for Netflix, mm-hmm. there, but uh, but yeah, for the in competition for sure. Um, in in a, another Oscar winning director news, um, Questlove is going to be directing a remake of the Aristocats of Disney's animated film, The Aristocats. Um, okay, hold on. <laughs> Hold on here. How is this film being filmed and made? Because we had quite a miss last time that cats seeing cats on cinema. I don't I I don't know what you're talking about. There was a masterpiece that Tom Hooper did in 2019. Um it was or a caster piece, as I like to call it. Um, and um, you're done. You're and, done. And you're done. <laughs> I think Quest Love is going to call Tom and be like, "Hey, man, how do I make cats sing and dance with cockroaches on screen?" And I think that well, you, you know that yeah. you're in for a, a treat either way when you see the the phrase uh, in the announcement that it will be a blend of live action and cgi because that worked so well the last time it really is just the the worst idea possible it really like i can't just have the circus play everybody you know what fair i i think that that would be fair um no it's they've got to stop doing the live action films it it, it really is them live action because they're not really really live action they're just live cgi action you know, and and also too, well, I mean, I guess Peter Pan's like a live action, so you can really you can you could say that that's coming out the Peter Pan and Wendy film uh, from David Lowry this year, but like the and maybe the, in the Little Mermaid one, but like the but they it's so unoriginal to do that, and for I just feel bad for Questlove because ever since he's gotten handed that Oscar, so he's felt like he's getting a raw deal here and uh and to have to do please he got a raw deal the way he was handed the oscar yeah i'm that's what i'm saying is that like you know it's you know nobody remembers his speech they remember what happens you know a couple minutes before that but like to to then go from this really great documentary to to this is is uh he's also executive he's also executive producing the film so i wonder if this is like a passion project for him but what i wonder is not that many people remember the Aristocats. I mean, not a yeah. lot of people under forty even are like that's a remake of what now. <laughs> I'd say under thirty. Plenty of people of my generation know. No I don't deep. know. I think you guys are underestimating the TikTok generation. They're really like that's the high. Like it's Beauty and the Beast and it's Aladdin and then it's the Aristocats. Like those are like <laughs> I'm just totally kidding. It's not. I will it's say not a movie nobody with cares the, about. With, with the way we're reacting to it, the, the expectations could be so low that this could actually blow us all away. Listen, I can't wait for it to top Avatar at the box office. All right, let's just <laughs> let's just call it like it is. Um, there's that do need to... Cameron feeling that we've been missing from you, Ryan. There you go. Uh, we do need to, uh, you know, I was debating about which uh, crazy story I would 
talk about, uh, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow on the witness stand uh, complaining about missing a half day of skiing, um, which I think my favorite response to that was somebody saying uh, next season, American Horror Story, missing a half day of skiing. Um, <laughs> you know, Ryan Murphy's the, already got six scripts ready to go for it. Probably. No, it's um, American Crime Story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, nine golden globes goes to grind murphy for that one yeah um actually i wanted to end on kind of a happy note um of of the video of jeremy renner uh jeremy renner posted a video on his social media this morning of him walking once again after his uh really horrifying um accident that occurred uh in i believe december or was it thanksgiving i think it was december it was yeah yeah. um it just does the heart good to see him uh, coming back um, and being kind of really candid about his recovery process. Not many, not many stars do that, um, but it just made me happy. Yeah. It, may, it makes you happy that he's okay and that he's getting better. And um, I mean, what he did was a, such a thankless act and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, just speedy recovery all the way through for him, you know, yeah, I mean, I feel like we a lot of us have forgotten how the, how genuinely good an actor uh, Jeremy Renner is. I think both his Oscar nominations are immensely well deserved. He's incredible, the Hurt Locker in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, I hope we get a good reinvestment in him as an actor. You know, outside of uh, Marvel movies, and um, you know, if if he gives us another great performance, you know, I'm very willing to forget the. Uh, uh, pop star face that he went through a couple of years ago so you know we'll wait and see about that he is actually doing he, he, if if you have not checked out um uh mayor of kingstown um on paramount plus the taylor sheridan uh drama he's very good on that one Almost in a role good. that uh, the, a, in a role that in a lesser actor's hands i think would be less interesting but he's so good in that show I was just forget how great he is in the Herlocker, and it's such an inspired nomination too, because they they didn't you know because at the time it was like all about Bigelow and Bold and the film and everything, and yet he's I just think of that moment where he's in the 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 grocery store trying to like pick out cereal, and it's just he's just lost, and it's just the best depiction of I think anyone that's come back from um, from the war in the Middle East over the last couple of years. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, he's a great actor and I agree with you, Charlie. Um, he should, he should get more roles, some more meat, uh, you know, rather than just, you know, being Hawkeye, you know, or selling weird, like, doesn't he sell like weird liquor or something too? And and he's like, he did, he does a lot of weird side jobs. <laughs> and he's selling an app. Glass Onion. I think that's yeah. a joke in Glass Onion. Okay. But he did like an, he had like an app thing going on too, right? Or something. Anyway, uh, just hope like, like, you know, if he gets like a role, maybe he could have like his moment kind of like Brendan Fraser did this year, like a comeback and, and everything too. So, um, but yeah, it's just good to see him walking at least and everything too on the road to recovery. And so, uh, and so that brings us to the end of the news segment. So now we're going to talk about um, two festivals that just came around that just uh, happened recently: uh, Sundance Film Festival out in Park City, Utah, and South by Southwest in uh, Austin, which just wrapped up uh, last uh, last week, I believe it was. Um, 
you know, we these have become very important. Uh, they've always been uh, uh, festivals that have had uh, amazing movies come out of them. But recently, we have really seen a lot of Oscar winners come out of them. Sundance, a lot of, uh, you know, The Father premiered at, that's at Sundance in 2020, uh, before the pandemic hit. And that's where a lot of that buzz started uh, for uh, whatever eventually became Anthony Hopkins' second Oscar winning role. We also had Coda came out of Sundance, so did Summer of Soul. And this year's Best Picture winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once, came out, uh, had its premiere at South by Southwest last year. So uh, Ryan, as someone who uh, went to both these festivals, um, you know, we know Sundance is one that's geared more towards independent cinema and getting uh, distribution and getting distribution for, you know, those smaller films. Uh, ex could you just take a little bit, just explain to us, you know, what is the premise of, you know, South by Southwest? Yeah, so South by Southwest is like, uh, essentially like uh, a, a really cool festival. That's what I just, like, it's a good vibe, you know? Um, it, it really started off more as like a music festival and then it sort of transformed into a film festival and now it's a, a technology and an education festival and along with those other components. And it's really just this, this giant beast that takes over for 10 days in the heart of downtown Austin, Texas. And I mean, this thing has had enormous events over the last couple of years in particular. It's, it's, um, it's been something too to kind of really celebrate genre filmmaking um, as well as also still a lot of small independent films that come out of, of here as well. Um, it embraces comedies. It embraces uh, heartwarming um, sort of crowd pleasers and in uh, horror films and, and everything in between. And literally, when you talk about everything in between, you then mention everything everywhere all at once, um, which, uh, I mean, it's it's it was kind of a big deal, that movie last year, because not only was it, the premiere of the 2022 South by Southwest film festival, but it was also the first time that they had been at the Paramount theater. We had been at the Paramount theater, meaning the audience there uh, for two years, because the first film festival to shut down because of COVID was literally South by Southwest. It was like the day before uh, that was like the day before they were about to do the festival in 2020 was when the festival pulled it. And there was a lot of talk that, um, you know, it might not stick around and not, might, might not be here. They've done hybrid uh, festivals um, the year, the the next year in 2021. And they came back in full force last year. And I, I can tell you this, Tony and, and Charlie, being in that room uh, in 2022 for everything, everywhere, all at once, it was like being at a rock concert. And literally there's a scene with rocks on the screen. So it was like a rock <laughs> concert um but um uh, i swear to god it, if i hear that on other podcasts i'm coming <laughs> for you <laughs> no you heard that joke here first um but uh but no i uh i i thought that that night was so special and it and it showed that it carried the momentum for a movie like that all the way through but then you had movies like um x which was ty west's film and you had the unbearable weight of massive talent premiere there and you had the Lost City, which became a, a sort of marginal hit. And then uh, you had um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On uh, carry over from TIFF the year before over there and have a, a North American premiere. So it, it has the ability to sort of debut a lot of the, the 
like maybe fan favorites or films that are are going to be talked about later in the year, but it hasn't had a lot of like Oscar success until this year because Sundance is sort of known for that, as you both know, for um, really a lot of you know movies like Call Me by Your Name and The Father, like you mentioned, and and various other films in between, like Boyhood even. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, the last two Best Picture winners have come from these two festivals in Coda, and um, and and obviously everything everywhere all at once, and it's not and and they've been historic year-long campaigns that have kind of now given us to the point where we can start talking about, well, if a movie can come from Sundance and it can come from South by Southwest and it can come from anywhere, essentially, because we've seen can winners, we've seen obviously all the fall film festivals dominate. So it really kind of gives you a little bit of hope. It's like any film can win. And we were, we've been close before, like get out was the film that was at, uh, in 2017 that I thought was really close from Sundance. And then um, obviously Peel had us come out and Booksmart and a bunch of other films from 2019 slate. They just didn't translate to Oscar wins, but they were huge in terms of, you know, people's favorite films of the year and stuff. Um, but yeah, now you're kind of in a position of like, which one of these movies are going to be the next everything everywhere all at once, you know? And, uh, well, and I wonder, I wonder, and I don't know if that'll it... ever happen, but you know, well, I think one of the things is that we are, you're right, we are seeing this this evolution of festivals outside of, say, Toronto and uh, that are, and Cannes, that are actually, you know, having hit, that are hitting at the Oscars. And I wonder if that is also, I think, attributed, attributable to the change in the Academy membership. You know, the Academy membership is much broader. Um I think that it would have been a lot harder even 10 years ago for something like everything everywhere to win at the Oscars. I agree. Um, so do you think that, that, that expanded voter base has a more kind of, you know, allows room for some of these, these different types of films uh, to break through? Yeah. I think that, I think there's a lot, that's a, that's, that's a very heavy question, Tony, because there's, because there's a lot of avenues you can go with it. Um, I think that yes, the voter turnout and in, in the 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 type of voter that's voting has dramatically changed, and 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 rightfully so. I mean, to to have more of a diverse academy to represent the audiences that are seeing these films, you know, regularly in the theaters when it's released, and uh, and to have more of a diverse opinion. I mean, the academy is still an average middle-aged white dude on the average, but you know, every year the membership gets added to <clears throat> a couple of new hundred or 200 or 300 or 600 members that are more diverse than the year before, or more women than the Academy or more international or, and I think that that helps. I think an expanded lineup helps too, because you know, a movie like everything everywhere all at once or Coda, I don't know how they do in a, in a year of five, you know what I mean? When, when you really have to crunch it down or, um, I mean, obviously, everything, everywhere, all at once, it, it shows that, you know, the movie had so much momentum and was the movie of the year uh, and it broke so many records. But at the time of nominations, it's, you know, one one would wonder if we were in the old Academy rules, if we were in the old voters, if it would, like you're saying, have that sort of stick. But we but we have to judge it based off of now. And I think, um, you know, I, I've been I've talked to Charlie offline about this and I've talked to a bunch of other people, too, about. I think somebody, maybe it'll be at Gold Derby, maybe it'll be at Awards Watch, maybe it'll be somewhere where someone's going to talk about maybe the importance of the fall film festivals going forward just because of the fact that 
we've had these movies come primarily the last three or the last four years we've had the best picture winners come from the first half of the year or haven't come from a festival at all because you look at it uh parasite came from can no man land even though yes it, there was a tell you ride it was all virtual like everything was virtual that year and we had a pandemic and then uh south by southwest with coda i mean i'm sorry uh, sundance with coda and south by southwest for everything everywhere all at once so it's like the last four years with that with that membership change, there's also been a, a change in of, of how a movie connects with the Academy. And it really just comes down to just like what movie primarily moves them the most. And it's a lot of these stories that have families or it's about um, bringing people together or in Nomadland's case, isolation, which was kind of perfect for, 2020 because we were all feeling a bit isolated there but the last two years it's been about like family and togetherness and connection that way i don't know if like we're going to see a, just a run of family quote-unquote films um over the next couple of years you know uh, i don't know what the family film of, is this year maybe it's the iron claw from sean durkin about the von eric wrestling family i, I don't know um but um but uh who knows uh it i, it, I think it just it means that you know, for years, us Oscar pundits have wanted variety in what could be a winner, what could get nominated, what can like the movies from the first half of the year have a shot to compete with the 900 films that premiere at film festivals at the end of the year. And it's looking like that is the case, which makes it very exciting because the possibility of you seeing the best picture winner could be at any point in the year. And I think that that's that's kind of a cool thing. That's kind of what it used to be. You know, you have like a movie like Silence of the Lambs premiere in January or February. February 14th. It was a Valentine's Day release. Exactly. And I still say to this day, everybody, you know, if you want to take them out. It's like the most romantic film of all time. Um, you know, just, you know, who who doesn't want to just see, you know, Buffalo Bill on Valentine's Day? Anyway, um, no, I, I, I think that, that you know, every... Every year is different, obviously, but to have that ability of being like, yeah, it could come from Cannes, it could come from South by, it can come from Berlin, it can come from, you know, Telluride, it can come from any of these places, or it could just be a movie that gets released, you know? And I think what it's also been showing in recent years, you know, especially with something like Get Out, Call Me By Your Name, and especially with everything everywhere all at once, is that there is the potential that for whoever for whichever uh studios or people or or pub or PR firms are managing these campaigns that it is possible to keep the names up there especially with everything everywhere because like uh, and get out because those unlike the others were came out where they premiered there but then they came out later like even I believe Coda didn't premiere on Apple TV until August, I think. Yeah, it was like an August release date. It was right before the the fall festivals. Yeah, but but you know, Get Out came out in February. Everything Everywhere came out in March. And you know, that, and I think those were probably the bit, you know, in addition to the genre bias, I think probably those early release dates probably were the things that were potentially their biggest roadblocks. And you know, what um uh, uh, was it Blumhouse that had uh, Get Out? It was Blumhouse, and what A twenty four did uh, with um, uh, with Everything Everywhere was just astonishing. And the way that they like we, you remember at Middleburg, they had a screening of Everything Everywhere all at once, 
and Stephanie Shu was there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were, they were working on keeping that in the conversation throughout the whole time. Yeah. And even Michelle Yeoh was at TIFF getting, uh, receiving an award and, and she was at Telluride with a anniversary screening of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like they, uh, or I tell yeah, tell you right, she was there for that, and then so I was like, she was never not there, like, she was always there. Um, and that film was always represented throughout the year. Um, yeah, I mean, and that, and that's the thing, too, Charlie, is, is that the movies not only premiered pretty early because, like, everything everywhere all at once premieres like in late March, uh, early April, and some in, in some places, the movie becomes a box office hit. And it carries for three to four more months and people are finding it and discovering it. And then it comes out on VOD and and then on Blu-ray and then people are discovering it there. And then before you know it, certain movies have gone out of the race or, uh, you know, I've gotten delayed or some movies are not as reviewed as we thought they were going to be. And then it's just kind of like waiting there for it to be anointed. And that's the kind of the same thing that happened to Coda, like got great buzz. And, you know, a little bit of, you know, kind of forgotten about then it releases. People remember it kind of, you know, just, you know, stays alive long enough in the conversation. And then uh, and then, yeah, it it just like at the last second, it just kind of pounced. It's I mean, it's it, but the thing about it is, too, is what we've seen the last two years, three years, even four years, is that if they like something and they find it, they have no qualms now whatsoever to give it as much love as they want. Like they, I mean, like last, this, this past year is a perfect example of like, they'll give it seven Oscars, which is the most in, you know, like 15 years, you know, they don't care anymore. They're just going to, they're just going to do what they want because they, of the movies they love. And that's kind of great. I mean, it, it, it hurts us in terms of predicting or stat lines or whatnot, but for as, as lovers of cinema, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Everybody kind of thinks that this is the best movie of the year. Yeah. Let's give it everything. Yeah, that's that's kind of the 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 feeling that I've had is one of the things that I grow tired of of people saying is that something can't happen, yeah. that something is you know statistically unlikely to happen. Um, you know, the big thing that a lot of people were saying this year with everything everywhere was that oh oh you know everything everywhere is going to win best picture probably, but no film has ever won best picture and won three acting awards. I was like, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Um, we've had so many, you know, firsts, so many, uh, s- statistic, uh, breaking events at the Oscars just in the last four or five years, um, that I think, you know, a lot of the old tea leaves that we have relied on, um, and of course it's going to be different every year. There's going to be years where BAFTA matters, and then there's going to be this year where they <laughs> were an afterthought, um, so I think what's going to be interesting to see with a lot of these festival films, um, and I was just looking at the list of which ones have been acquired and by whom, to see, you know, what breaks through, what do they rally around, what's the one that, in the immortal word, words of Sally Field, do they really really like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I mean, you know, Tony, you're you're absolutely right because you're you know history is great is a great thing we had tons of history this past year and it's so great to see what will be the next thing and i think going back to your question is is that when you have change in a voting structure when you have the members change then history is going to change a lot because they're going to because it's going to be a lot different 
maybe skew younger, maybe skew more less traditional. You know, I don't I don't think like 10, 15 years ago, a movie like Shape of Water or Everything Everywhere All at Once wins Best Picture. I don't I don't even think something like Moonlight can win Best Picture or Parasite. Uh, these are these movies that have won in the last six, seven years are a product of 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 the Academy realizing that they needed to broaden who is voting for the best film of the year. And it, and it I know it correlates a lot with with Oscar so white and, and a lot of the, the, of the various complaints there. Um, and there's still a lot of progress to be made. But the Academy, give them credit, has made it a, a ton of strides more than a lot of other organizations, because you mentioned MAFTA. I mean, like, good Lord, they did. They a person of color did not exist on their ballot for a winner uh, this year. And and I mean, yes, they they did sort of pinpoint us to the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front was going to win four Oscars that night. Um, you know, so that at least let us know that that's their influence on the year. Um, but you know, also too, it's like who was the last telecast? SAG. Who won all the acting prizes? SAG, the SAG winners. So it's all about just momentum and and everything too, and it, it goes back and forth. But yeah, no, we're in we're in a really like this year is going to be so exciting because there's so many great films that are that have come out already that are about to come out, and you kind of just sit there and go like, I I I could give you twenty films that I could think could be nominated for best picture. I could be dead wrong about all of them. I really could. I could be dead wrong because. It looks like just an absolutely stacked year, and then the movies well, then, that have already well. Premiered. Then tell us about tell well, us yeah. about that. What are you? What did you see that 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 you loved? Well, um, do you want Sundance or do you <laughs> or do you want uh, South by? Give um, us uh, your top your top ones for both of them. Well, I will say that uh, there was one one film that I did not get to see uh, at 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 Sundance, but from what I'm hearing and everyone talking about it. It's a movie that I think that everyone's going to be keeping on their radar. It's also an A24 film, and that's a movie called Past Lives uh, from Celine Song. And uh, this is a, a movie that did really, really well. It's got a Metacritic score right now of 95. And it's a, it's a romantic drama about just uh, two uh, deeply connected childhood friends who uh, who were apart for many years, and, and, uh, and they reunite for one week. And it's, so it's you know, getting a lot of comparisons to, you know, the farewell and a lot of the comparisons to like the Richard Linklater before movies. Um, but also too, it's, you know, it has a trailer out and everything. And it's uh, a movie that I can, I can see already through just the 20 seconds of the trailer. Cause I I'm trying to go into this movie blind. Um, and from uh, hearing from people already talk about it, this, this might be the new film from Sundance that carries over because it could be a screenplay contender and a director contender and a picture contender. Um, and these performances could get into it and it's a 24. So they're riding high off their historic year. I mean, a 24 is always riding high. It seems like that uh, they have another film uh, that I was really high on. And I think that uh, could be a big indie spirit play. And that's uh, uh, all dirt roads, taste of salt. Which is this uh, film by first-time filmmaker um, Raven uh, Raven Jackson, and uh, it's a it's a, a sort of deconstructive piece about uh, a, a a black woman's life growing up in Mississippi, and it moves back and forth throughout different you know kind of kaleidoscopic moments of her life, and connecting to her as she's about to become a mother to her mother, 
And the the interesting thing about that is that it is produced by Adela Romanski and Barry Jenkins. And as we all know, last year, they were the producers of the wonderful film from Charlotte Wells, After Sun, that did really well throughout the circuit last year. So um, I would keep an eye on on those two films in particular, um, as well, you know, as well as uh, a, a movie called Fair Play, which Netflix picked up. Um, it's this uh, this sort of this uh, Chloe DeMont, who's the director, she uh, directed this uh, really interesting um sort of cutthroat, cutthroat hedge fund twisted romance film that almost feels like uh like the shades of Paul Verhoeven um and it has these these uh these great performances from Alden Ehrenreich and uh and Phoebe uh Devonor who's from Bridgerton if I'm not mistaken yes um, Lady and, Daphne on the first season of Bridgerton and uh I think that it's absolutely just wonderful Eddie Marsden's also in the in the film too he plays like their boss if you think of like, like if you're in the mood for like margin call with like the twisted nature of like succession, um, then like this is this is you know meets like you know uh, basic you know or, you know basic instinct and stuff like that. It's really it's really a, a, a wild script. And Netflix picked that up. I believe they paid like fifteen twenty million dollars for that acquisition. It was a huge acquisition out of uh, out of Sundance. So those are like the three I think out of out of there that I I'm really strong on from from Sundance as being players as well as uh one last film and they played at both actually at both South by and at Sundance and that's Theater Camp which is um which is a movie that by Molly Gordon and and Nick and Nick Lieberman and it's literally about a, a summer theater camp uh basically being held together um as they're trying to get bought out by like an even bigger sort of conglomerate you know summer camp conglomerate um and it stars you know uh molly gordon and ben platt and and jimmy taro and 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 noah galvin who is absolutely fantastic it's gonna scene steal everyone this year is gonna be the, the just everyone's gonna see that performance and just gonna be obsessed with it um if and and if you've ever been in technical theater in your life or if you've ever been on a stage in your life or ever done theater, my God, are you going to feel seen? But uh, it's uh, it's an absolutely hilarious film and it's got a lot of heart to it as well. So it's kind of got that Coda vibe to it. You know what I mean? As well, where it's like, it's, it's a very specific thing, but it's also like at the right, if catch the right amount of momentum, uh, it could, it could be something that is a very much an audience uh, pleaser. That's for sure. So, and what, and uh, so, what about the ones that you're the high that you were high on from uh, South by? Man, South by was was I think like a really phenomenal fest. Uh, like I, you know, um, obviously have to point out the movie that came out this past weekend that had its North American premiere there. That was uh, John Wick Chapter Four, um, which uh, the Baba Yaga himself, Keanu Reeves, and director Chad Stahelski were there. And sat with the audience, and uh, again another just like wild ride. Um, and uh, you know, I I know that everyone's been championing already um, the Oscars to finally include a stunt category, but also I would like to say that the sound work and the cinematography for John Wick Chapter Four is something that we should deeply consider if we can consider like Dune. And movies like uh, the Batman from Greg Frazier, and and obviously the work of like somebody like Roger Deakins, who's worked in 
in action for a lot of a lot of them. Dan Lauston's work here in John Wick Chapter Four is gorgeous. I mean, some of the just the best lit um, action sequences when most of them primarily take place at night that you're going to see this year. Um, so there was that, um, and then obviously uh, the movie that everyone's kind of been obsessing about. I feel like uh, since it was the closing night film, which was Ben Affleck's Air. Um, oh, let me re-say that. Academy Award winner Ben Affleck's Air. Um, two-time you know, Academy Award Two-time Academy Award. Maybe he's going to be more. We never know. Uh, this movie, of course, follows the... I know that this sounds really stupid, and I know everybody kind of rolls their eyes, and there's been making a lot of jokes about it, but it follows the story of... At the time, Nike, which was like not the best company in the world, not the shoe conglomerate we know they are today, uh, courting Michael Jordan, then who was a um, a uh, a newly uh, member of the of the NBA uh, to sign a shoe deal, and it was going to be the first ever uh, shoe deal specifically targeted at one athlete, and how that deal sort of changed uh, not just uh, basketball and and Nike as a company. But changed the the modern athlete and black athletes and 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 clothing and everything and changed the world essentially. And I have to say this is that it sounds really silly. It sounds kind of like a stupid premise. It sounds like you know like like oh okay we're just supposed to like root for this billion dollar shoe company now and all this stuff. But at the time they weren't that they were a scrappy underdog. And it kind of reminds you of you know of the movies that the Academy kind of loves. It's also from a, a director that's won Best Picture before, and he's very, very comfortable in this directing chair. He, it, it's a very confident direction from Ben Affleck. You have, I think, an early contender for SAG Ensemble here. Ben, uh, ben Affleck is great as Phil Knight, um, but it's really Matt Damon. He's the lead of this movie, and he's giving one of the best performances he's had in a long, long time, probably since The Martian. And then uh, Jason Bateman, Marlon Wayans, and uh, but then also uh, Chris Tucker, who is is fantastic. But obviously the MVP, if you're going to cast her in a film, Viola Davis, who is, steals the show with uh, a couple of scenes that she has with Damon, and towards the end of the movie too. Um, wickedly good script, lots of great needle drops, lots of '80s and '90s clothing. You know what I mean? It's 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 very much a period piece too. It's it's an easy breezy movie that goes really you know it's an hour and forty minutes and it goes by quick. It's got just kind of like what you would think a, an academy would want, um, and uh, so yeah, I think it, I think it could be a player. I don't think it's it's Amazon and, and MGM and um, they're they're really banking on this being a um, being a success at the at the at the box office because they're gonna fully release it there i think it could have the the wheels to do it it's uh and uh it, it it's it's a really really good film and um i do want to shout out a movie that i think will probably make a lot of the indie spirits and maybe maybe the gotham awards too um if this made uh any way at the oscars it would probably be the biggest surprise i think ever because it's so out of their wheelhouse but then again we're living in a world where a movie with what's a wheelhouse? So, so yeah, what sausage fingers and 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 butt plugs? Just we're in a we're in a best picture film, so you never know. But uh, I can say that this this Gonzo comedy called Bottoms from uh, Emma Segelman, who's 
who is um, the director of Shiva Baby. And uh, it is absolutely hilarious. And Charlie, I think, I know Charlie Bright's humor more than anybody else in this world. I think you're going to absolutely adore this movie because this movie is like, at, at times you you kind of get into it and it's basically about these two um, unpopular uh, queer girls that <laughs> in their senior year, they start a fight club. And um, in order so in order to start this, you don't, fight need, club, to, so you then you they, don't need to say anything else. You don't need no, to say- but they, they do it so that they can attract the cheerleaders from their school and try to date them. Right. And, um, and, um, Io Edabiri and, and, uh, and Rachel Sennett are the, are the two leads in, in this film. Oh, Io is on a, Io Edabiri. Oh my God. I love yeah. her so much. And oh, she I is on, she is writing high right now. She's a spirit award winner. She's got season two of the bear. Coming. Bear. She and was on, uh, Ab- Abbott. Oh yeah. She's on yeah, Abbott. She would- she was just on Abbott Elementary, so she's. Yeah, she she's also cute. took over Jenny Slate's role on Big Mouth too. Yeah, so she's she's doing a lot right now, but she's fantastic. And Senate, of course, is absolutely hilarious. She co-wrote the film with uh, with the director, and so, um, yeah, I I would I would just say that like this is if you think this is just going to be another sort of book smart, uh, it's not. It's actually kind of deconstructing and criticizing movies like Superbad and. And Booksmart is very, uh, very, you know, taking down of of, of hyper masculinity in, in movies like this, and um, even feels a little bit like the scary movies that we that we grew up with, or like the lampooning films that we saw a lot, or Mel Brooks even. Like you, it feels you a, the scary movies. You mean the scary movie franchise, right? The scary movie franchise, not like like horror movies, like the scary movie franchise. Like it yeah. feels like that because there are so many jokes that are in this movie, and there's so many jokes in the in the right in front of you and then peripherally around the the frame behind the scenes and everything there's like three or four other jokes and it sounds so, like a lord and miller setup almost it really it, it kind of is and if you've seen shiva baby uh which is which is a good movie it's 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 a good movie but it's not it, but it's that's more it's more grounded than this this is gonzo and this is insane that somebody let them do this and this is from orion and ngm uh, over there so uh, like i i don't know what the release strategy will be i think it's going to come out later this summer but um if there was ever like a movie that deserved like original screenplay for just how kind of ballsy and weird this thing is uh it's this easily a gotham and indie spirit play if i've ever seen one um but also like if it got if it got screenplay that would be awesome because and it's going to be it's it's going to be a movie that is going to turn into people's obsession like people are going to obsess over this thing, and the the minute the trailer drops online, just you might want to you might want to mute some people because it's gonna it's gonna be a wild ride for sure. So I'm, there were two other films at South by that seemed to ha- that seemed to get a lot of attention because they were about uh, technology stories that on the surface seemed like like li- very much like you know the the like like the story with air like how is this a movie? Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen one of them. Uh, I saw Tetris uh, last yeah. weekend, which mm-hmm. was immensely enjoyable. Yeah. Um, uh, also, um, uh, can we have Toby Jones get an Oscar campaign for that? Because he's so wonderful in that. Just for the scene alone where he punches people uh, is... 
It's like he's just jumping up there and punching everyone. It was like, that's, a, like, that, that's like the, that's like the description for bottoms. You don't need to tell me anything. You don't need anything you else to said, tell me. Toby, Toby Jones, Jones getting up and punching people. punching people. Toby Jones yeah. punching people and Taron Edgerton with a mustache. What more do you need? We yeah, weird American accent, but sure. You know what I mean? Like it was. Well, remember it was cool. he's he's Dutch in the movie, or he's Dutch. Yeah, it was. It threw me off. Like it was. It was, it was like. Hi, I'm Taryn Anderson, and I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? But then you like you really get into it, and and he's 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 not he's actually pretty good in the film. Yeah, and and uh, and also uh, Blackberry. Did you see Blackberry? I did not get to see Blackberry, but I got to see the other conglomerate film, Flame and Hot. Oh uh, yes, we, yes, that won the audience award. I'm telling you, like, uh, if if you just wanted to make a story about like a product. That's probably sponsoring the festival. Uh, you know, just make a movie about it. Uh, I will say, I have, I had never had Flamin' Hot Cheetos until this past weekend. I really? Never... What did you think? They're all right. You're all right. Yeah. They're all right. You know, they didn't have it. They, they wasn't as I'm. I'm so averse to spicy things that uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not like I know. I know you're you're from Texas, Ryan. You're also you got you got. You know, the Latino blood in you, so you can handle. So you can handle that. I can handle I, my spice. Yeah, I am. I am white as f. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> I am. I am so. I'm so bad. The most I get to is like you know horseradish cream sauce on my prime rib. You know, that's what. And I'm even like. you're like, oh my god, this is like the hot ones challenge. I'm you just like, I mean? what is this seltzer? Oh my god. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, I, 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 Tetris, Flaming Hot, I, I, and I heard that Blackberry was a new cut, and I heard uh, better things out of South by than I did out of Berlin. But uh, Flaming Hot was good. It was sort of your typical crowd pleaser. It's been picked. It's a searchlight picture. It's been picked up, uh, and it's going to premiere, I think, exclusively on Hulu and on Disney Plus. Uh, so I think it'll be eligible for Emmys and not for uh, because it's not going to have a. Uh, a theatrical theatrical run. distribution yeah and... ryan just in the in the in the time we have left did you see any uh, because charlie and i are both uh tend to be on the dock uh beat did you see any docks at either it was really tough to see a lot of docks there just because of the just the way that the schedule was lined up i did really want to catch the um the there was a documentary about uh, lady bird johnson that and it was just specifically about her um uh, her uh, sort of her letters and 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 it was a lot of found footage and everything. I heard that that was pretty good. The Mary Tyler Moore documentary um, premiered there, um, and I heard a lot of great things about that one. I caught up with a documentary that um, that I missed out of uh, out of um, uh, Sundance. Uh, it's only life after all about the the Indigo Girls, uh, and I was able to catch that. And I thought that that was like. It was very good. It was, you know, obviously it was uh, very much for the fans um, uh, that followed the, the band, and uh, and they were there uh, in the uh, in the in the audience, and and they did a Q and A afterwards, and it was a, it was really special. But uh, but yeah, no, it, a doc documentaries were something I, you know, it, I tell Charlie this all the time. I I try to do better with documentaries at these film festivals, but then they have all these darn premieres that I have to go to for these. For these movies with uh with like you know uh chris pine and tilda swinton in them and it's like all right fine i'll go to those you know what i mean and and i have to cover those but no i you know uh i i do know that there was a the the the, the documentary black barbie that was there i heard a lot of great things about that one just in terms of 
um, you know, the inventiveness behind the camera, as well as also just the the conversations that uh, the director was able to get um, on, on. It was a pretty riveting documentary. Those are what I heard um, from from people that did get to catch some. I, I just was not able to catch them myself, unfortunately. So, I mean, you talked about um, your, uh, you know, what you really liked and what, you know, and you talked about that, the intersection with awards, but uh from each of those festivals, what was just your hands down your favorite thing you watched? Well, I will say besides the films that um, I did mention, I do want to shout out Problemista, which was uh, Julio Torres's uh, directorial debut, um, and it stars him and Tilda Swinton. And it's what's it he, called again? It's called Problemista. Okay, and uh, um, it's an A twenty four film. It'll be out later this year, and. Torres uh, essentially plays uh, an immigrant who is living in New York City, um, and he wants to be a, a children's toy designer, um, but his visa runs out, and he has to take a job with this uh, eccentric uh, personality that is Tilda Swinton, and the reason why he helps yes, her but out who does she play? She plays the uh, an art critic, and her husband is cryogenically frozen. Um, and is in like a, I'm telling you, it's out there. It's, uh, is in like a pod. And the thing about the company is, is that they'll put you in, but in, they don't know how to get you out. So you'll be frozen until the company figures out how to get you out of the frozen pods. Oh, so it's like um, the hotel California. Yeah. It's like, you can check out any time in your life and you never leave, but you'll wake up. It's like, you know, you're still the same age you are now, but you know, you'll be in the future. And a lot and, of mini bar bottles will be charged. Yeah, to. and he and essentially it's about like their their connection and also uh, it's an immigrant story. It talks a lot about the U.S. immigration system. Uh, it's also uh, it's 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 also just about conquering your fears and being someone that's more introverted, having to to sort of you know come out of their shell and 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 it's a very imaginative because if you know you know Julio Torres's stand up, it's it's very much like him and it's, it's, it's very, um, it's very much in like the vein of like Michel Gondry and, and, and his films and stuff, but it's got a, a great heart to it. So that was a movie I really connected with, um, as well as this movie called national anthem that was at South by Southwest. It was a small film directed by Luke Guilford. Uh, it's, uh, it stars Charlie Plummer who you, uh, you would know from lean on Pete. And he plays a, a young kid who is living in rural um, New Mexico. And he is looking just for kind of jobs. And he stumbles upon a job on this ranch where it's a, a, a ranch full of queer ranchers and rodeo performers and drag performers. And he sort of gets entangled in a um, a, a love triangle between the, the head rancher there and his, uh, his uh, trans girlfriend. And he has his sort of uh, sexual awakening and, and it's really beautiful, super, uh, just a really tender film. But then it's also beautifully shot, just, uh, just gorgeously shot. Cause it's in New Mexico. So you can't really screw it up, but, uh, but, but many directors have, and uh, this movie is uh, it, it's got really just gorgeous, uh, gorgeous cinematography. And and it really also too it doesn't lean into a lot of the tropes of these coming of age stories where like there's a third act twist and his mom who's sort of like an alcoholic, um, uh, you know, could t like turn on him in any movie. This movie has a lot of empathy 
behind it. And uh, so uh, I don't think it has a distributor yet, but if somebody can pick it up, it's a, it's a small little gem that I think people uh, will really like. And then uh, lastly, one last film real quick. Um, and then this one's out of Sundance and it was called Passages. It was the new Ira Sachs film. And it stars uh, Fran Rosagowski and uh, Del Alexopoulos and uh, and Ben Wishaw and Ben Wishaw. Uh, I I've heard about this film. Yes, this movie is like um, <laughs> the most manipulative bisexual film I've seen in a long, long time. Because Fran Rosagowski is in is is married and he's like a, a filmmaker, and his husband is Ben Wishaw, but he starts having an affair with a woman. Uh, and then he, and then they sort his marriage sort of dissipates, but then he starts going back to his husband and he's, he's kind of, you know, he's playing them both. And it's all about power struggles and dynamics. The best way I can describe it is just like, it's like a weird cousin, almost even to like, uh, to, to like tar essentially. Um, it's, it's got a lot of those power dynamics in there. Um, but it's not a, about conducting or filmmaking. It's just about more fo- focused on the relationships because that's what Iris Sachs as a director is mostly known for. Um, He's incredible with the way that he can frame a relationship. Like, yeah. you know, he makes him, he, he was the one who made Love is Strange, right? Yes, he did. And yes. it's weird. It's it's about, you know, uh, uh, a couple that's been together forever, you know, played by John Lithgow and Alfred Molina. Like, can you Which think I of mean, a more perfect elderly gay, elderly Have gay. them in every movie together, why don't you? Yeah. You know I mean? uh, and, <laughs> um, and, and it's about one of them losing their job once uh, it's found out because he's gay, because he is employed by a, a Catholic school. But it's not a message movie. No. It's that which is weird because normally when you when you think of a movie like that where those are the plot points you think it's a message movie but it, it like you said it's really the examination of this relationship mm-hmm. and and uh in in love is strange it's about the strength of the relationship trying to overcome that and uh he does it in these amazingly intimate ways and so I'm really excited for this this sounds very this sounds very interesting yeah, and it's also too it, it like destroys the argument that people have online about like, do sex scenes really need to be in cinema? It's like no, the way that these sex scenes are, they're very steamy, but they're also there's a lot more under the layers. If I you know no pun intended, um, <laughs> but if there, there's a lot more there than just surface level stuff. It's 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 really just a, a very 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 interesting um, romantic drama. And uh, in, in almost just it just has like almost a thriller element to it at times too. It's it's really good stuff. And Rojagowski is one of just the best um, unknown sort of like one day we will give him his flowers. He is he was in Great Freedom. Uh, he does a lot of Christian Petzl films. Um, great German actor. And I just I, I think that the more people sort of uh, get to know him as an as an actor, I think that this uh, this one this will be a movie that people start to really realize him because it's it's in an English language film there too so um but yeah those were the films that uh that I have been thinking about a lot and there's weirdly enough a lot of these movies that I mentioned I really want to watch again because you know you see them one time and you you really can't take them fully all the way in but even even still they leave such an impression on you you know well, uh, Ryan, uh, we can't thank you enough for being on. This has been a fantastic uh, review of uh, these uh, of these films, and uh, uh, I always enjoy talking with you. We always are talking, and 
Uh, I can't wait to uh, uh, see you again uh, at Middleburg uh, this year. Hopefully we will uh, again be able to uh, have a room at that festival. Um, Nothing funny, but you know. But also for real, it's, it's, it's much nicer to stay there at that wonderful resort. Oh, it's, it's so great because convenience sake. Because then yeah. you could just get. Because then I can get drunk and I don't have to worry about driving your ass home back to my apartment. That's fair. That's fair. But on and, those and very that... on those very not well lit roads. No, no. <laughs> and I'm drunk. I'm completely hammered. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, no. It's always it's always great to talk to you, uh, Charlie and Tony as well. I love talking to Tony. I never get to talk to Tony nearly enough. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait to be back on for the Aristocats uh, live action remake. Um, <laughs> talk about our most horrifying CGI, uh, maybe top fives of uh, characters of all time. Who knows? So, Ryan, where could the good people who are watching and listening follow you? Well, if if they're good people, the, the, maybe they shouldn't follow me. Uh, but no, um, <laughs> uh, you, they can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox at Ryan McQuaid seventy seven. Uh, you can follow my work over at awardswatch.com and the executive editor uh, over there as uh, do a lot of reviews as well as our, I, uh, I am the, the master to the commander of the ship over there for the uh, AW podcast. Uh, we, we talk about the Oscars and the Emmys as, like you guys, as well as also do a lot of retrospective reviews and, and, and reviews of, of modern films and, and, and things that are coming in theaters top five lists all those fun stuff uh, we do movie drafts the summer movie drafts coming up for us here in a couple of weeks uh, that's where we all get to wager uh, against each other to see what they're going to be the highest grossing films of the of the summer and then the loser has to watch uh, an embarrassing probably awful film that the other team selects so uh, you know we uh, we like to have a lot of fun over there and then if you also want to catch a lot of my other work it's over at in session film uh, in uh, the playlist and film speak and a bunch of other places and thank you guys so much for having me on again and Tony, what about you? Uh, you can read my stuff at goldderby.com and follow me on Twitter at GD Tony Ruiz, the name that most of my students like to call me. <laughs> and I uh, also have my writings at Gold Derby, and you can follow me on Twitter at Charles Bright. Uh, thank you to, thank you again to Ryan for joining us. We will see you in a couple weeks. We will be talking Emmys, and you will be seeing a lot more Emmy articles coming up on Gold Derby. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. For all things Hollywood competition and awards season, head to GoldDerby.com and follow us on social media at GoldDerby. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.